This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about pancakes. Yeah. The, the specifically, I guess, American style? Right. Yes. Yeah. The... Uh, Kind of usually breakfast food, right? Pancakes, right? Because there are a lot of a lot of different types of pancakes around the world, and we'll talk about some of them. And there are savory pancakes. Oh yes, which we will return to at some point, but oh, not today. Not today. No. But gosh, we will. Oh my gosh, we will. Um, pancakes actually make me nauseated, and I have a friend they make her nauseated. Okay, see, I have a theory about this and that that intersects with the thing where you had never had real maple syrup before. Right. Because I feel like the the, the scent of fake maple syrup along with the scent of, like, margarine, like fake butter flavor, together produces this, like, scent. Right, because it's very rare that you're having pancakes without those types of things. Uh, it depends on your pancake experience. Right. I'm very choosy about my pancakes for this reason. Right. I really prefer to make them at home mm-hmm. so that I know that I'm not doing that thing. Because right. it, do- it doesn't smell good. It smells like cloying and weird and kind of little. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I was looking. I was hoping to get to the bottom of this because I was like, <laughs> is this a thing? And the Internet was very unhelpful and basically told me I'm a terrible person because I don't like pancakes or whatever. I oh. like them. They just make me a little <laughs> nauseated. <laughs> Internet, why are you always so mean to me? Aww. Um, I do prefer waffles. I oh, really do. Yeah, I, there's a there's extra crispy texture. Right. And right. I like that. Yeah. But you can definitely have a bad waffle and you can have a wonderful pancake. I did like when I was growing up um, blueberry and chocolate chip pancakes separately, not together. Ooh, but what about a blueberry and chocolate chip pancake? That does sound good. I mean, the world is ready for experimentation. It is rife for pancake experimentation. That is true. I've seen so many types of pancakes in my day. Um, I am terrible at making them. I was telling Lauren before this. I am notoriously really, 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 really bad at making pancakes. I I think I can help you out here. Okay. All right. Uh, in, in in a minute. Um, right. But uh, but I, you ha- but you have a few. I, I don't I don't have that many like like deeply held pancake stories. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, oh man, I guess I've had some. Mm-hmm. They were fine. 
One time I attempted to eat IHOP's never-ending pancakes, and I <laughs> ate, like, the normal, like, three pancakes, and I was like, I'm basically done. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was um, an event in my because I grew up in a small town, so when they started doing that, it was like people were cutting class in high school to go do it. it was, wow, it was intense. So there was an IHOP. It was like a twenty minute drive from us, but again, very small town. So that was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I got to get there. And um, when I think when I was in eleventh grade in high school, I had a job along with a friend of mine working on Black Friday at Oshkosh Bagosh okay. slash Carter's Inc. at the Outlet Mall in <laughs> Dawsonville, Georgia, which some of you might know because for some reason it always comes up on things to do in Georgia. No offense, Outlet Mall, but... Mm. Not worth it? <laughs> well, not, on, not on Annie's list? Not on my list, but okay. if you really like shopping and particularly that kind of shopping, maybe. Sure. Anyway... <laughs> I, I was working from 11 p.m. that night until 8 a.m. the next day. Oh, wow. Oof. Yeah. And we went to one of the only places that was open, which was the IHOP. And my friend, who uh, doesn't handle lack of sleep very well, she would have to agree with me because it is just true. Uh-huh. Uh, she ended up under the table randomly shouting hash browns <laughs> and her sister's name. And I was assuring the waitress, like, she's just tired. I know how this looks. (laughs) She's just tired. The wait staff at IHOP has seen way worse. You're right. You're right. Probably absolutely true. Uh, But that's what capitalism will get you. you I mean, (laughs) just somebody (laughs) shouting Ash Brown from under the table at IHOP. Dangers of capitalism, yeah. It's true. Um, And then I have another IHOP story where it was a really taxing experience to get home from Australia for me a couple years ago. I Uh think I had no money and I had no way to charge my phone. And I was in the airport for over 72 hours. Oh, wow. And I was kind of depending on um, standby. Oh, sure. It's a long story, but basically I'd been in Australia almost a month longer than I should have been because of strikes. Oh. Yeah. So I ran out of money. But my parents somehow, I guess they were just waiting around at the airport um, when the the flight started again. And so I landed at 4 a.m. in Atlanta, and they were there. And I oh, wow. cried in relief. I was just, oh. I finally made it home. And we went to IHOP, and I was just crying as the sun rose. <laughs> and I was putting blueberry syrup on my pancakes, like, oh, my God. I'm home. I'm I've home. made it against all yes. odds. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And my one of my nicknames is Flapjack. I'm not sure why. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is sort of timely, oddly (laughs) enough, because when Lent begins, Mardi Gras, um, which, as we record this, is tomorrow, Mm -hmm. um, several British Commonwealth countries celebrate Shrove Tuesday slash Pancake Day. It's a way to basically eat a bunch of carbs and then use up things like dairy and eggs, or that used to be kind of the impetus for it. Right, sure, sure. Things that you're not supposed to consume during Lent. Exactly. Use them all up. The day before. Yes. Yeah. This is also why donuts have been a thing. Right. We've talked about that in our, oh gosh. Jelly-filled donuts? In our jelly donut episode and also in the Mardi Gras episode from New Orleans. We've mentioned it before. Yes. (laughs) But now we should get to our question. Yes. All right. Pancakes. What are they? Well... A pancake is a fluffy, slightly sweet sort of cake made in a pan. There you go. But not like a cake pan, like a like a stovetop pan or, or a griddle. Uh, a pancake is a not-an-oven cake. Okay, not-an-oven cake. Yeah, a pancake is a, a flat but puffed-up sort of cake that is so quick-rising that it can be cooked without the, the time and the all-enveloping heat involved when you put something in the oven. Um, It's also browned on both the top and bottom, unlike oven cakes, which are typically only exposed to the heat of a cooking surface on one side. And you achieve this in pancakes by flipping the cake some halfway through cooking to more or less success. Mostly failure on my part. (laughs) Gets on the side, you know, and then it kind of like sadly (laughs) scoots down and you have all this remaining batter. I need to get you a spatula. Okay, okay. First things first. (laughs) Okay. Um, because pancakes are, are some really interesting chemistry and physics at work. And if you understand those a little bit better, then you might have better success with this whole pancake thing. All right. Okay. Okay. So 
For contrast, like like when when you make an oven cake, you've got all kinds of processes at work to create and fix bubbles in the batter. So you can really create a, a dense but airy sponge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But when you're making a pancake, you got to do it quick and dirty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so basic pancake recipe here. Uh, you mix your dry stuff, your flour plus leaveners plus seasonings like salt and sugar, um, and separately mix your wet stuff, uh, milk, eggs, melted butter, and maybe seasonings. And then you combine the dry and wet with a minimum of stirring. Okay. Minimum. minimum. Just just to incorporate. Quick and dirty. Got it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, you let the resulting batter rest and rise about half an hour, and then uh, ladle it into a hot pan. Bubbles will form up big and firm within a few minutes, and uh, and, and once they're kind of set, you flip the cakes and uh, and cook the second side until golden brown. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at me like I do all of this and I fail. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I've not had success ever, so okay, all right. Um, well, perhaps let's let's talk a little bit about how those bubbles occur. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. To allow those bubbles to form that quickly, you are starting with a looser, that is a wetter batter. More of your wet ingredients than dry ingredients. That's about a cup of milk product and one egg per cup of flour product. And you add one or two types of chemical leavening agent to your dry ingredients, things that will create air bubbles when they first interact with the wet ingredients. Um, that's your baking soda, mostly. And things that will create even more air bubbles when they heat in the pan, and that's your baking powder, mostly. Oh. Um, and those leavening agents are why you don't want to overstir, because since those leaveners are your primary sources of lift, and they're a one-shot deal, uh, if you destroy the bubbles that they make by stirring them up too much, they're not coming back. And you'll wind up with these, like, flat, dense, sort of soggy pancakes. Mm, yeah, not mm-hmm, what you want. No. Um, in oven cake recipes, you can whip air into eggs or into sugar and butter um, and then use that to help create lift. But you don't have time for that in pancakes. No, no time. You need no. them right now. Right now, yeah. Um, so, like, the proteins in the eggs will help solidify the leavener's bubbles, um, along with proteins in the flour. But that's about it. And, and the sugar and butter are just there to, to help keep the cakes tender. Okay. And the flipping. Oh. All, all you need is a good big flat spatula. Uh-huh. And you just get it, get it under the very center of the pancake. Mm-hmm. And just in a smooth motion, you just boop. <laughs> you don't you don't you don't really mess with the side of the pan that hard. Okay. You just get it right under the center and just boop it. Well, that could be the problem. I'm not very smooth. I'm not frequently described that way. I might have <laughs> understated how bad I am. People oh, have no. given me those things that so that I can control the amount of batter oh, in the uh, that, pancake. That, that, that is another important factor. You can't pour in too much batter. Well, it's probably less batter than you expect. It, it is. It definitely is. So I have those. And then I have a specific, someone gave me again, <laughs> uh, a pancake <laughs> flipper. It's a spatula designed for pancakes. Um, I have, I like, I don't know if this is a thing, but I always thought, I was taught that the pancakes get kind of crispy on the outside. Not crispy, but there's like a it gets it gets a little bit browned. Yeah, but almost like lacy. Yeah, sure. it, the texture changes, and then some bubbles start appearing, and then I flip it. But I feel like it just it might work for the first batch, but not for that. Ah, uh, see, the heat in the pan is also important. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect it's something with the heat. Yeah. Oh, there's probably multiple things. I also I think I've said this on the show before. I did not know. Uh, that baking soda and baking powder were two different things. Yeah, this is a very important distinction yes. that we will get into in detail later on. Um, but that could 100% be your problem. I was I had just started this job 2011 when I found that out. And I thought, like, it was just a, they were marketing Like a labeling yeah. issue? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there are multiple areas I could be falling down in this pancake business. Yeah. I'd, r- I'd really have to observe what you're doing. <laughs> I love that. You come with, like, goggles and a, and a, a lab. Yeah. And, like, a, yeah. <laughs> and I just hear you back there like, hmm. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah, that's a, that sounds like a, I'm not going to say fun time, but certainly a time. It and, will be educational. And if we got pancakes out of it in the end, 
well, they probably wouldn't be good, but well, that's event, part but, of the but, problem. But eventually, it's oh, a process. Yes. Right, it is a process. We, you know, we experiment, we self-correct, mm-hmm. and then create delicious, tender, fluffy pancakes. I mean, that sounds good. This is, my whole life has been leading up to this. <laughs> okay, okay, you're putting a lot of emphasis on this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's move on. Okay. Perhaps. Uh, okay. To the to the nutrition. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the nutrition. Oh gosh, let's not. Let's. It's it's a cake. It's a. I mean, it's a low sugar. Yeah. Well, cake. Prior to the syrup. Prior to any syrup and toppings that you put in. Right. And I mean, yeah, that's the thing is there's so many yeah. types of pancakes. In the American tradition, if uh, anyone is listening from elsewhere and has never had this type of dish served to them, um, uh, pancakes are usually served uh, several, like, like I don't know, they can be anywhere from like the size of your palm to like the size of a, of a salad plate. Right. And, uh, or bigger. I've seen wild things. Oh, yeah. Wild, y'all. Yeah. Um, and you usually serve them in a stack of like at least two or three, like... Sometimes right. more if you're real fancy or they're real small mm-hmm. with pats of butter in right. between them. And then you pour maple syrup down over top of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty sweet thing. I, I forgot to mention my favorite pancakes in Atlanta are from Rhea's Bluebird. Oh, oh, they make lovely ones. But they are gigantic. They are huge. They're the size of a dinner plate and a large dinner plate <laughs> at that. If you ever have the opportunity to get them with the caramelized bananas, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, all, all kinds of toppings can be involved. Uh, usually it's a warm fruit compote sort of situation. Right. But I, I don't know, like chocolate syrups, whipped cream. Oh, yeah. Pretty much anything you can imagine. I know one place that we've been to in Disney World just has, like, chocolate chips, M&M's, Reese's Feet, like, oh, all geez. kinds of fillings in there. <laughs> uh, and I have made a Dutch baby before. A Dutch baby is a separate type of pancake. Is. That is an oven-baked pancake. Right. But it's it's also, like, really huge, and I love how it just <laughs> deflates. <laughs> I had success with that. Oh, really? That's so much harder. <laughs> It doesn't make sense, Lauren. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> oh, and that kind of segues into the next thing I want to talk about, which is in our numbers section. Okay. Yes. Okay, so the annals of improbable research <laughs> found that Kansas was, in fact, flatter than a pancake. <gasps> wow. Yeah. It is a super goofy article. They got so into the weeds. I love it. There's like charts and graphs and formulas. That's delightful. It really, really, really is. Go look it up. There's, I highly recommend it. There's a decent amount of pancake science out there. There really is. There really is. On Pancake Day, Show of Tuesday in Britain, over 52 million eggs are used, which is over 20 million more than is the norm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I love this too. Pancake races. What? Yes. These are part of the celebration, essentially races, where people flip pancakes in a pan as they race. And there are points for heights. Oh, wow. And speed, number. Look, huh. I can't flip one at home on my own <laughs> oven stovetop, and they're racing. Very, very impressive to me. It's it's like a it's like a skateboard trick, but but in a pan. Yeah, it's it's just a very specific motion. I I was really impressed, and people. Well, I guess well, let's talk about some world records because there yeah. are a lot when it comes to pancakes. The largest pancake, uh, three tons or six thousand six hundred fourteen pounds. <laughs> Uh, yeah, most flips of a pancake in a minute, 140 flips. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, a, a record made by Australian chef Brad Jolly in 2012. Highest pancake toss of 9.47 meters are about 31 feet, one inch. 31 feet, completed by Dominic Kusakrea. And my personal favorite, okay, fastest marathon completed while continuously flipping a pancake Mike Kuzakria's time of three hours and two minutes and 27 seconds. That's better a time than I got, and I wasn't flipping any pancakes. <laughs> of course, that's a record that exists. Oh, wow. 26 point what miles? Flipping it. That's a lot. 26.2, yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, your arm. I'm assuming he was flipping sides or something. Oh, he, you have to be, because I, I was about to say before, like that's also like a like a tiring gesture. You have to have pretty good arm strength for that. Wow, humanity, it's very impressive. You, <laughs> in certain areas, in in very particular areas, <laughs> very specific uh-huh. records. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, yeah. So people do love their pancakes. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have loved them for a minute. Uh, and we will get into some of that history. Uh, but first, we're going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, basic precursors of pancakes, a mixture of ground grains mixed with a protein-heavy binder, then cooked, have been around for a long time. Uh-huh. Even our prehistoric ancestors, like over 30,000 years ago, Ooh. made some version of pancakes combining a ground flour of ferns and cattails, most likely mixed with water and baked on hot rocks. Okay. This was probably closer to something like hardtack, but the foundations were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the pancake definitely predates the oven cake because ovens, even just burying something in the ground right. to bake it, are a little bit more complicated. yeah than just having a rock and eating it up and <laughs> putting your pancake but, on there. Yep, just boop. Yeah, it's very clever. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Otzi. Yeah, Otzi. The Iceman. Uh-huh. He may have eaten an early form of the pancake as one of his last meals, as evidenced by the remains in his stomach. Apicius wrote about a combo of water, milk, eggs, and flour, fried, then finished with pepper and honey, which seems to be how these early versions of pancakes were primarily enjoyed in ancient Greece and Rome. As we move into Elizabethan times, records indicate folks added things like spices, apples, rose water, and sherry. Ooh. No reason not to put alcohol in a cake. I suppose so. I mean, it depends on the amount of alcohol. <laughs> yes, I was like, I think that might mess up my pancake it's probably <laughs> even more, but maybe it'd be more fun. Um, <laughs> Most of the alcohol is probably going to cook off. Well, yeah, but, you know, sip for the chef or whatever. <laughs> Drink responsibly, everybody. <laughs> Early versions of pancakes, more in our understanding of them, date back to the 15th century, and they were made circular to symbolize the sun, meant to summon feelings of spring and the warmth that came with it. Now, for Shrove Tuesday, that possibly originated with Slavic pagan festivals meant to ward off demons of cold and darkness. The four pillars of Christianity were represented by the four ingredients in proto-pancakes, milk symbolizing purity, eggs as creation, flour as the foundation, and salt as wholesomeness. It was quick, easy, and it used up those eggs and milk before Lent, as we said earlier. Yeah. Yes. 
The races, the pancake <laughs> races, allegedly have been going on since 1445. What? Yes. First comprised of all female competitors. And there are multiple legends about how and why this got started. But the one people tell the most is that it originated in a town called Olney in England when a woman was making pancakes and realized she was going to be late for mass. So she rushed from her house, pan in hand, Flipping the pancake. Um, now people like to say it's sort of a funny representation of hurrying to church to confess your sins. Okay. Yes. All right. And speaking of, the word shrove derives from the old English word shrive, meaning confess all sins. So I guess that makes sense. The first British pancake recipe popped up in 1430-ish, but it wasn't until the 1600s that recipes became more widespread after they'd become more accepted by the upper class. These recipes often called for wine or brandy as the liquid in the batter. It wasn't until the 1700s that milk and possibly cream became more the norm. And then, in 1611, flat as a pancake enters the discourse. Yes, but flat as a flounder was much more common. Really? Yes. Huh. And this was primarily used to describe women. I... (sighs) (laughs) Um, Heavy sigh, yes. Heavy sigh. Uh, However, I guess it makes sense that at a certain time and place, a whole flounder would have been a more uh, recognizable object than a pancake, which involves some kind of milled grain, which is kind of pricey, especially right. if it's, like, nice enough to, like, get, get a nice delicate pancake out of. Right. And sugar certainly was pricey, so. Yeah, and I just feel like when I think of pancakes, I don't think of flat first. It's one of the, like, first few things. But flounder, I'm like, flat. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it. I almost caught one that one time, and it got away. <laughs> oh, it's too flat for you. His name is Dr. Evil, and I think he still haunts the Gulf of Mexico, (laughs) telling his flounder friends how he escaped. Anyway, uh, I'm not bitter about that at all. We can all tell. Yeah. That much is obvious. Yes. Anyway, back to the pancake. (laughs) In the early days of the New World um, in North America, colonists called these things Flapjacks, hoe cakes, and johnny cakes. Uh They were typically made with cornmeal and buckwheat. In 1796, Amelia Simmons' book, American Cookery, had two recipes for these early pancakes there. As we've said before, this is largely considered the first cookbook in the United States. So first, within the first wave, Uh Uh people were kind of eating them. Um, Thomas Jefferson adored them, though he may have been eating something closer to crepes. Um, thicker and fluffier pancakes were being called griddle cakes at the time, and he did not use that word. Mystery's history. Mm-hmm. But here's something I was wondering. Why are pancakes a breakfast food? It, is there a reason? They go well with bacon? Why is bacon a breakfast food? No, that's a, that's an Edward Bernays answer, and that's a different episode. <laughs> it is, which we have done, and you should go listen to. <laughs> okay, this one is more about convenience. Um, ah. Prior to the American Revolution, pancakes were viewed as an anytime food, often served at dinner. However, these pancakes, at the time, they were much thinner than what we're used to these days, closer to something like a crepe. Mm-hmm. During the 1780s, American cooks began adding pearl ash to their pancake batter to serve as a chemical leavener, transforming this thinner pancake into the thicker, fluffier variety that we are more familiar with today, which didn't translate well to dinner for a lot of people. Some didn't like the chemical aftertaste of the pearl ash, and they thought it clashed with all other foods. Mm -hmm. Um, Since cooks had all day to prepare for the later afternoon meals, they would avoid making something that would be more convenient, but came with an aftertaste you didn't want because you had the time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, why make a convenience food when you can make a... a com- yeah, a convenience food with a, an aftertaste I just don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, also, pancakes were easier and faster in a lot of cases than making something like a morning bread and essentially filled the same purpose. Mm-hmm. According to Slate, some people still taste a soapy aftertaste in products leavened chemically. It depends on the leavener and the amount you add and the heat that you subject it to. But for sure, it is best to use the right leavener for your purposes and the right amount for your desired use. And now, let us have a quick sidebar 
about leaveners. Let's. Yeah. So, pearl ash, or pot ash, as it is sometimes called. This is a substance made with ashes, like wood fire ashes, a.k.a. with lye. Because when you soak the ashes of a wood fire in water, that water will be lye-infused. And if you mix that lye-infused water with an acid, like uh, like buttermilk or citrus juice, it will produce bubbles of carbon dioxide, which provide lift. Yes. Um, and this was sort of the, the poor baker's solution to the previous expensive leavener called hartshorn, um, also sometimes called baker's ammonia, now sold as ammonium carbonate, um, which, when heated, will produce ammonia and carbon dioxide gases. But if you've ever smelled lye or ammonia, you know that neither of these are ideal in your baked goods. No. No. Um, and that ammonium carbonate is actually what they were using in, like, Victorian smelling salts to, like, startle people awake. <laughs> oh, no. So not ideal. No. No. Um, however, it does demonstrate the two basic methods of chemical leavening, and that's stuff plus acid equals bubbles or stuff plus heat equals bubbles. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. So, so in the mid-1800s, researchers worked out how to industrially produce a better stuff plus acid leavener, what we now know as baking soda, which is also known as sodium bicarbonate. And this was a revelation for bakers. It will add a little bit of a salt flavor, but is otherwise a fairly neutral tasting compound that when combined with an acid will produce carbon dioxide bubbles. Lift. Yay. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there was another stuff plus heat leavener that was coming up in the world, cream of tartar a.k.a. potassium by tartrate. Um, And combining that with the aforementioned baking soda gave us the first double-acting baking powder. Ah. Double-acting is acid plus stuff and heat plus stuff. Got it. Got it? Uh Yeah, 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 yeah. However, for a long time, cream of tartar was only industrially produced as a byproduct of the wine industry. Right. So it was pretty expensive. Right. So, looking for a cheaper alternative, in 1856, an American chemist created modern baking powder, which substitutes the then-cheaper stuff-plus-heat leavener monocalcium phosphate in for the expensive cream of tartar. Oh, okay. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay, all right. So, so, so. (laughs) Yes. So, you've got got these two products, and uh, most modern pancake recipes will use a little bit of both, uh, plain baking soda and also baking powder, which are different. Yes. Um, and the, the presence of both acid and heat leaveners in the mix is why so many recipes call for buttermilk, which, of course, is milk that has been soured with an acid. Right. So acid can work with stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, um, without all of the advancements in chemistry and industrial production that were happening during the Industrial Revolution, we might not have pancakes as we know them. Science. Science. Yes. I will say it was a game changer, I mean, for (laughs) obvious reasons, when I learned that baking soda and baking powder were not in fact the same thing. And I remember looking at recipes and it would have both separately. And I was like, so confused. (laughs) I don't know. The human brain is so interesting. I don't know why in my head. I assumed I was right in my understanding in all of these recipes I was encountering that were incorrect. I don't know. I what, what's that? The the uh, something Dunbar effect. The okay. Ooh, I don't know. But I would be interested to. It's just funny to me <laughs> that I went so long, so hard. You were just you were just like no wrong. This, this assumption is clearly right. <laughs> right. And all of these recipe writers are foolish. Right. And I'll just combine this. I'll combine it together. <laughs> It's yeah. all right. <laughs> for for the record, you you can substitute uh, just baking soda um, for baking powder um, by look it up online it's it's a little bit complex you you, you need to uh, baking soda is stronger than baking powder so you need to kind of adjust your formula and make sure you're adding enough acid to activate right. it and it will provide a little bit of lift when um, you subject it to heat though it can get bitter eventually uh, if you've got it the other way around if you only have baking powder and a recipe calls for just baking soda that's that's not really a math that you can do at home um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't try to do that. Um, Because you're going to wind up with something, like, real, real weird. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. The, the look on your face is, I strongly don't think you should try it. Yeah. It's not a test. <laughs> yeah. Um, Probably real bitter and and, right. and actually kind of soapy. Yeah, you, you might get, get some soap flavors in there at that yeah, point. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I also, I know I've talked about it before, I had a notorious and very ill-founded dislike of buttermilk, which I now like it. But I think if I ever saw buttermilk, I was like, never! <laughs> and I would just use milk. So, uh, again, appreciating the science behind it. Yeah, yeah. Now I see the error in my ways. Yeah. Also that time that we got to have really fresh buttermilk and it was amazing and delicious. Oh, it was so good. Which is funny because... The, see that episode, but a lot of the buttermilk I was avoiding is not actual buttermilk. <laughs> yeah, it's chemically yeah. thickened, weird buttermilk. Yes. Yeah. See our butter episodes and video. Yeah. For more on that. That's we got to visit right. Banner Butter, which is so cool, and it was so much butter. It was a lot of butter. It was like a Volkswagen made of butter. And it smelled really amazing. Oh, gosh, it did. It did. Anyway. Anyway. Pancakes. <laughs> yes, pancakes. Pancakes and their wonderful chemical leavening. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1890, the R.T. Davis Milling Company hired a woman um, for their first Aunt Jemima, a.k.a. her name was Nancy Green. Okay. As in, yes, Aunt Jemima, the syrup and pancake mix. They debuted the first pre-made pancake mix in 1889, 1890. Um, over on uh, Stuff I've Never Told You, the other show I do, we did a whole episode on that. Mrs. Butterworth. And Betty Crocker. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah um, it, it's it's cool, especially I think to to talk about the Butterworth and Jemima yes kind of stories because that entire mammy trope is really ugly yeah. and uh, goes into our very complex American Black history. Yes, it does, and we talk all about that, all about that. But yeah, they were the first pre-made, pre-mixed pancake mix. Um, and then in 1931, Bisquick's box pancake mix was introduced, although it was primarily marketed more as a biscuit mix. And from what I understand, Americans were like, oh, this is easier than what I was doing and just started using it for pancakes. Uh, that <laughs> okay. sounds about right. That sounds about right. In 1958, a little restaurant named IHOP, as in International House of Pancakes, yes, that one, debuted in Los Angeles. And yes, when it debuted, it was International House of Pancakes. Like the sign didn't say... IHOP? Right. Okay. Uh, The company claims that they were a hot spot for celebrities at the time. In 1998, sales crossed the $1 billion mark. In 2018, they reached over $3 billion in sales. And this, they think, was in part a result of when they did that burger marketing stunt. Ah. It became IHOB. IHOB. International House of Burgers. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> but apparently it worked and they made a lot of money. Okay. You know? I guess whatever whatever you need to do, IHOP. Or whatever hop. you need to do, IHOP or Hob. Identity crisis. I, yeah. I will say both both words are funny now that I think about it. But IHOB, maybe because I'm not as used to it. Yeah. Um yeah. It sounds like a it sounds like a very strange iPhone accessory. It does, yes. Um in 2016, uh students at the University of Sheffield created an online calculator that will let you plug in the number of pancakes you want to serve, how thick you want your pancakes to be, and the the diameter of your pan. Uh-huh. And it will give you the exact amount of batter that you need. And the exact ingredients that you need to put into that batter. Oh, that's nice. That's a very helpful thing. <laughs> like scientifically speaking, they yes. figured this out and right. they wrote up some some equations. And you can do the math yourself if you so choose, but they have a handy calculator. I love it. Maybe that will help me. So much fascinating pancake science. So we got Kansas flat. Flatter than pancake. They actually later returned to that project. Oh yeah, and did all the states and compared <laughs> which ones. And I think Florida is actually the flattest. Really, it's flatter than Kansas. I'm. I this is all from memory, but I'm pretty sure. I'm. I'm not surprised because having grown up in Florida, um, uh, one of the statistics that they kind of throw at you as a child in Florida is that the highest natural point is very low. It's like. 
10 feet or something like that above sea level. Yeah. Uh, the highest point, period, is definitely a landfill. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, my aunt, uh, she has lived in Florida for most of her life. And she came and visited my old house in Dahlonega. And Dahlonega, for those who don't know, it's very mountain. Mm-hmm. Lots of mountains there. And um, she had what I could not fathom. But it, was, it wasn't it was a panic attack. But it was like she couldn't. There are too many hills. Oh. <laughs> she was like, they keep got this more hills. Yeah, it's yeah. hills. <laughs> and then when she saw the, like, the leaves change color, poof. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had a sort of opposite effect to some of my cousins. When I went to visit them, um, uh, I was talking about Christmas in Florida, and they were living in New Hampshire. Uh, and, and I was like, yeah, you know, it doesn't snow down there. And they were like, wait, never? I was like, yeah, no snow. They were like, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> they were, to be fair, like under 10 at the time. So right. like <laughs> their right. overall life experience was relatively limited. Right. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, I I was with somebody when she saw snow for the first time, and and she was like in college. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's a it's a magical experience. And then you're like, oh, this is cold going. and wet. Yeah. <laughs> I love. I actually love snow here because when it does, everything shuts down, and it's just expected. You'll stay home, and it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So I I like I like snow, but if I was having to deal with it every day, this is coming from someone from Alaska. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. When you're a young kid or— It was exciting when I was a young kid. <laughs> or for, like, two days a year, yeah. maybe, tops. Right. It's very exciting. Right. As, as an adult who has to, like, shovel it yeah, and, like, drive in still. it, right. that's terrible. Yes. Agreed. But you know what is nice <laughs> on a snowy day? Pancakes. Yes. I do think that is true. There you go. Yes. And that we're about at the end of our pancake episode. We are. We are. And we do have a little bit more for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener. Oh, man. Flip. Pancake flip. Yeah. Uh, and I did want to say before we get into this, because I know I, I brushed through a bunch of names for pancakes early on in the history section. Most of those went and became different things that will be different episodes in case people want to write in. Oh, it. I okay. am aware. All right. But at, at the time, they were kind of used 
interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But okay. Let's get to current listener mail. Yes. Camilla wrote, I talked myself out of writing in about your Ambrose episode, but your recent listener mail about Hungarian fruit soup convinced me to do so. My great-grandparents were Hungarian, so my family traveled there when I was 15. As a teen who never liked meat, traveling in a country where various compressed meat cold cuts feature in breakfast was a challenge. I lived off of cheese sandwiches and, of course, chilled fruit soup. Aw. I'm sorry to admit that one of my favorites from a touristy restaurant in Budapest featured not cherries or peaches, oh no, but canned fruit cocktail. <laughs> my parents were appalled, and my adult <laughs> self is loath to admit that I enjoyed such a thing. Fast forward to me moving to New York with my now husband. I was planning an Easter supper when we found out his cousin would be in town that weekend, so naturally I invited her. Mm-hmm. She offered to bring something, but I had the menu all carefully planned out. I was spicing and baking a ham, making homemade biscuits, a goat cheese and beet souffle, fresh shelled peas with morel mushrooms, and floating island for dessert. So I insisted she didn't need to bring anything. My husband let her know and came back saying she very much wanted to contribute a salad. I figured a nice crisp green salad is a welcome addition to any meal, so I said yes. I was in the kitchen whipping egg whites when she walked in with a grocery bag and pulled out a carton of whipping cream, walnuts, pineapples, and maraschino cherries. (laughs) I was livid, but could hardly object when she explained it was their grandmother's recipe. Needless to say, there was plenty left over, and she gleefully ate it all the next day. I guess my taste have changed since eating fruit cocktail soup for dinner. This salad confusion is one of my favorite things. It is epic. I love it so much. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Always ask follow-up questions. Oh, yes. Apparently, this is the lesson we have learned when it comes to salad. Always ask. Indeed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Matt wrote... As a master procrastinator, I have been meaning to send you this story for roughly two years. It isn't related to any particular episode, but it seemed like it was right up your alley. Back in 2012, my wife and I were fortunate enough to take a trip to Japan to visit a friend who was in the Navy. We live in New England. While we were there, we all took a trip to Kumamoto and stayed at a traditional onsen, which is an old-timey roadside inn with hot springs. That night, our stay included a very fancy multi-course dinner with lots of small, unidentifiable by-me dishes. Just before the main course, we were brought a large plate of some kind of meat. My friend told us that this was called basashi, and that after we tried it, he would tell us what it was. I was obviously suspicious, but did as I was told and ate a piece. It was very chewy and marinated in some kind of sweet soy sauce. After we finished our bites, he told us this story. Kumamoto Castle is one of the three most famous castles in Japan, and its fame lies mostly in the fact that it is the only castle never taken during Japan's internal wars. The last time the castle came under siege was in 1877, and the entire interior structure was burned down. The walls, however, held. After a lengthy siege, both armies were running out of food, the supplies inside were gone, and the army outside had eaten all the food in the area. There were two wells inside the castle, so they had water, but no food. They also had nothing to burn for fires because the keep had already burned down. Knowing that they only had to outlast the outside forces for a little longer, they ate their horses. Raw. And that is what basashi is. Marinated raw horse meat. The story says that this is what allowed the castle to survive the siege and remain uncaptured. While this may well all be apocryphal, it is, at least... A good story. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is a very good story. <laughs> oh, that's great. I actually had a similar experience with horse meat. Um, yeah? Where somebody was like, I want you to try this. I'm not going to tell you what it is until after you tried it. And I tried it. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, food is food. I mean, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely, uh, just based on where you are, different Ways of, I don't know, foods that are, quote, normal or not normal. Right, right. And there's a lot of, like, like class and culture issues and kind of designating a whole category of things, like gross or, like, unacceptable. Right. right. And, you know, I mean, like, in around the world, people got to eat uh, as... <laughs> As Checkers always reminds us. Ah, the great <laughs> philosopher of our times. And, you know, when Checkers is unavailable, you still have to eat. And <laughs> uh, and, and and whatever's there is food. And the things that people do with that food are 
beautiful and, you know, are always intended to be nutritious in both to your body and to, you know, like your, your mind and spirit and whatever else you want to say about that. So your soul. Your soul. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So I don't know. Don't, don't, don't harsh people's food buzz. Yeah. Try, try a thing when someone gives you a bite of it. If you don't like it, that's fine too. Yeah. <laughs> Completely fine. Yeah. Or if you just don't want to eat meat, don't eat it. And I'm not going to get mad at you. Yeah. No. That's not what we're here to do. There are very few food-related things that can make me mad at you. Right. (laughs) We try to be, you know, we just want to purvey the information. Yeah. Most of them involve bagels. So outside of that. (laughs) We're having bagels here at work tomorrow. Who knows what will happen? I'm concerned. (laughs) I was concerned when I read about it. I was like, oh, no. Lauren. <laughs> oh, we'll see how it goes. I'm sure it's going to be fun. We're a very opinionated office when it comes to food, so I think you'll fit in. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Anyway, if you want to know how that goes, you can always email us and ask. Um, thanks to the two people who already wrote in. If you would like to email us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.